Welcome into NBA Sound System. Gil McGregor here, joined again by my guy Kyle Irving. The Denver Nuggets are the NBA champions, and Serbia is the capital of the basketball world. Nikola Jokic got it done in Denver. Darko Ryakovic is the new head coach of the Toronto Raptors, which we'll get to later. But first, we have to talk about the Denver Nuggets, Kyle, as we kind of come down from the Nuggets NBA title clinching win, their first ever in franchise history. Uh, what are your thoughts about their run to the title and the season that they just kind of put a bow on? Well, first off, I mean, I need to talk as highly of Nikola Jokic as possible if I'm <laughs> going to be filling in for Scott Rafferty. Scott's listening. His favorite player just became the best player in the world, in most people's opinions, mine included. Uh, I admit that I was a little bit late to the Nikola Jokic party, but after watching this M- this NBA Finals and this NBA playoff run, it's really hard to argue against that. The guy was absolutely incredible. He elevates everybody around him. He was completely dominant in this series. He was completely dominant in the entire postseason. First player in NBA history to lead the entire playoffs in points, rebounds, and assists. Just goes to show just truly how incredible and well-rounded his game is. Um, You know, and I don't think that it's a coincidence that he got the most out of the role players around him, him and Jamal Murray both. I mean, Jamal Murray had four straight finals games with 10-plus assists, first player since Magic Johnson. That just goes to show how well-rounded this team was, how much they trusted their teammates. Uh, you know, they knew that guys like Aaron Gordon, Bruce Brown, Contavious Caldwell, Pope, Michael, J- Michael Porter Jr. in game five, uh, yeah. you know, were all able to step up and everybody contributed uh, to, you know, the, the first championship in Nuggets franchise history. So hats off to them. Hats off to the Nuggets. I think the thing that you, you pointed out about their team, just the depth, because like when you look at that roster coming into the postseason, let's just say like, you know, you know, Nikola Jokic, who now and I'll, I'll press you more about that, that best player in the world comment in a second here. But we know Nikola Jokic and, and Jamal Murray is a guy who uh, really steps up when the lights get brighter. But I do think that there were fair question marks around the rest of the team. You know, I, I think we saw the ups and downs that come with Michael Porter Jr. Aaron Gordon was awesome in this postseason, but I don't know if we exactly expected that coming into the postseason. Contavious Caldwell Pope, another guy. But then when you look at their bench, it was really just a three-man rotation of Christian Brown, Bruce Brown, and Jeff Green. Um, there are other guys who were in and out of the lineup at times, but really it was just those eight guys. So when, you know, I remember talking about them and their ability to make a run, that was the biggest thing that I think I questions about that team but it just speaks so much to what they were able to do because even if you 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 rewind a little bit further back to that weird lull they had at the end of the season which probably lost Jokic that third consecutive MVP they looked very mortal they they had a loss to the Rockets they lost to the Spurs and I think honestly they probably got a little bored with the regular season but to think about them finishing first in the Western Conference which is also the first time in franchise history they were first in the Western Conference um to go into the playoffs and to see Jokic and them take on a Timberwolves team that has two decorated big men in Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy Gobert, five games, uh, easy work. Second round, the Suns were by many con- considered by many to be the f- title favorite, two all-timers in Chris Paul and Kevin Durant, Devin Booker, a budding superstar, superstar depending on who you ask. DeAndre Ayton gave Nikola Jokic fits in the playoffs two years ago, six games, and it wasn't really that close. They embarrassed them in, in game six of that series. And then, Arguably the greatest of all time is waiting in the conference finals. The Nuggets have never beaten the Lakers. They've never been past the conference finals. They sweep them. And that was the first sweep in franchise history to think that it came at the conference finals. So looking at what they were able to accomplish in this postseason, I think, you know, people can say what they want about, you know, facing a seven seed in the conference finals and eight seed in the finals. But 
the people, the names they knocked off and the way that they did it speaks so much to the unity of this team. And also a big shout out to Michael Malone, who they were patient with him as a franchise and he got the job done and really established himself as one of the best coaches in the league with his body of work this postseason. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'll be the first to admit, I mean, I obviously had them advancing past the Timberwolves in the first round, Mm -hmm. but I had them losing to the Suns in the conference semifinals. And then I picked against them uh, against the Lakers in the conference finals. And then they got swept. Um, You know, I, I, again, I will be the first to admit that I was kind of late to the whole Denver Nuggets train here. I mean, the signs were there in the series against the Suns that they were this, you know, really well-balanced, complete team, you know, really cohesive defensively. Anybody can get going on any given night offensively, uh, you know, obviously around Jamal Murray, who was playing out of his mind and played out of his mind all the way through to the finals. And Nikola Jokic, who, again, is solidifying himself as the best player in the world. Um, you know, you started to see those signs in that Sun series. And then I think they really got the ball rolling against the Lakers. And that's where, you know, I felt like, through three games when the Lakers and Celtics were both down 3-0 in their respective mm-hmm. series, I actually thought the Lakers had been giving the Nuggets a more competitive series mm-hmm. than the Celtics were against the Heat to that point. Um, so, you know, the Lakers didn't exactly roll over, and that's not your normal number seven seed. So I don't want right. to hear about, you know, oh, they faced, what, an eight seed and then a four seed and then a seven seed to get to the finals yeah. and then an eight seed in the NBA finals. I don't want to hear any of that because none of those teams, you know, the Lakers were not a, a typical seven seed. The Heat are not a typical eight seed. I mean, they were in the conference finals last year, one shot away from going to the NBA finals uh, in 2022. So, you know, I again, it's just, it took a little bit for, I think, the general public to realize how well-rounded and how balanced this Nuggets team is. But, you know, maybe it took a lot of people, myself included, a little bit longer than it should have to really open our eyes and be like, hey, they really did not struggle at all against that Suns team. And they really rolled over the the, uh, Lakers in the conference finals. And even though they dropped that game two to the Heat in the finals, I don't think anybody was really ever, you know, kind of flip-flopping of, oh, Miami can pull this off. Miami's going to win three straight. Or, I mean, Miami's going to be able to win three more games. Like, the whole time, it felt like the Nuggets were in complete control of the series. It felt like they were in complete control of every game. They kind of just fumbled it away in game two there. And, you know, that game four win, to me was like the most solidifying of like, this is just the best, most well-rounded team in the NBA this season. You have Aaron Gordon erupt for 27 points. Bruce Brown scores 21 off the bench. You know, guys like Christian Brown are coming in and contributing in a big way. It just felt like that was the signature moment where, you know, Jokic didn't have his best game. Jamal Murray never really truly got it going as a scorer. He had it going as a passer the entire night, but he never really truly got it going as a scorer. And that to me was the moment that it's like, the Heat aren't even on the same plane as, as this no. team. You know, the Nuggets really started to show that we're the best team here. As long as we don't beat ourselves, we're going to win this whole thing. And surely enough, gentlemen, sweep first championship in franchise history. Yeah, and I think that you talk about the Heat not being on their plane. I think I don't think anybody in this postseason was on their plane. I don't think it would have mattered who they saw in these finals. I know the Celtics, you know, looked like the favorite for a while. The Bucks coming into it, regardless of who it was, I think this Nuggets team. I won't go as far as say they were a team of destiny, but they were the best team. I think I noticed that in the Lakers series, especially the way they won those games. You mentioned the Lakers giving them a fight. The Nuggets always responded. That team was so tough mentally. Um, and again, like you mentioned, the guys, everybody had their moment. Um, you know, Christian Brown had his moment. These guys had their moments. And, and you talked about uh, that game three when they had in Miami, Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray become uh, the first teammates in NBA history to each have 30 point triple doubles in the same game. That's insane. They're doing things we've never seen before in any NBA game on the biggest NBA stage. That being said, I think it's the perfect setup. Before we take the trip to Sambor, Serbia, we got to go to Kitchener, Ontario. Jamal Murray, NBA champion, um, a little over two years after a 
just a devastating step setback with the torn ACL. He missed the entirety of the 2021 postseason. All of last season, he comes back, has to shake off the rust for a little while. 26 years old, NBA champion, um, arguably the best just full uh, body of work by a Canadian in the playoffs in NBA history, uh, the ninth Canadian to win an NBA championship following up uh, Andrew Wiggins last year who did it. So now there's been a Canadian on four of the last six NBA champions. So shout out to Canada. And Jamal Murray said he's bringing the Larry OB back to Kitchener. So what does this mean for Jamal Murray, um, the legend of Jamal Murray that continues to grow, but also his place among the NBA's best players because he wasn't in our top 30 at the sporting news and something tells me that's going to change the next time we do that yeah i think more so than anything it just makes people it it validates just his continuous playoff success like jamal murray has showed us over and over again every time that he has been able to play and perform for the nuggets in the playoffs that he is a big game player um you know he's not afraid to make big shots uh for a lack of a better term it felt like every time the heat had any sort of momentum in this series, Jamal Murray had an FU shot ready to go yep. to silence the crowd, especially when they were in Miami. I mean, he's cold blooded. Um, you know, he is a star in this league. He is one of, like you just said, the 30 best players in this league. I think that is going to be one of the things that changes, uh, you know, the most for Jamal Murray is that when all these, you know, lists come out at the end of the season or going into next season, uh, you know, he's going to be uh, almost unanimously viewed as a top 25 player in this league. And, you know, in terms of where he stands with the best guards in this league, which is always an interesting conversation because of how loaded the guard position is. I think he's going to elevate his status there, Um, you know, but even beyond the status and everything like that, I just last night when he was on that stage and kind of started tearing up again, like, you know, it started to get heavy in my living room. Like, I'm like, man, like it's hard not to be happy for this guy. Yeah. You know, obviously suffers a terrible setback. He had that quote. uh, with the Nuggets team owner where he said just very, you know, self-aware of like. I appreciate you trusting me and I, I, you know, I appreciate you being patient. Thank you for Mm -hmm. not trading me. Thank you for believing in me. And now we got it done. Like, it's just like a very human moment. And, uh, you know, just to be able to see him celebrate and, you know, him and Jokic swimming in the pool and stuff after, like, (laughs) I don't know. It just felt like he's Jamal Murray's a player that I've always liked. I liked him coming out of the draft. Um, you know, I even liked watching him in college. He just plays with a certain swagger, a certain confidence that, you know, he's just a very, very likable player. And to see him, you know, at the top of the mountaintop in the NBA and getting the credit that he truly deserves as an unbelievably clutch playoff performer, um, you know, it almost made me feel proud for Jamal Murray. And I don't even know him. You know what I mean? No, no, for sure. And I think that's just, you know, you talk about that and kind of watching his growth, you know, and our coverage of, of NBA Canada over the past, you know, five plus seasons. Now, I remember interviewing Jamal Murray a couple of years ago uh, when the Nuggets were in Charlotte. I remember when they were in the bubble uh, writing about just his history of just being the type of player that plays better when the stakes are at the highest, whether it's for the Canadian national team, whether it was during uh, the bubble, whether it was at the Rising Stars game, making a name for himself because so many people kind of wrote him off just based on his background, um, you know, based on him, you know, playing at Orgeville Prep, you know, in, in, in Canada and not coming stateside to play his prep basketball and then coming to Kentucky and making a name for himself to being a top 10 pick. And even with the setback, you know, to finish these, this, these playoffs, averaging 26.7 assists and 5.7 boards per game over a 20-game run. And I think, you know, he talked about him and his place among guards in the league. You know, there's so many notions about him not necessarily being a traditional point guard because he's that tweener. That was a knock on him coming into the league. Well, he did away with a lot of those notions about his ability to play point guard from a traditional sense with those assist numbers that he had in the finals. You mentioned those four straight games with 10-plus assists. So Jamal Murray has done so much, I think, um, to, to not necessarily – regain the respect but i think 
really show people that the things that he's done in the past aren't a fluke, that he's here to stay, and he's only getting better. Um, and I think that, that speaks so much to this potential dynasty that, that could be brewing out in Denver, just given how young Jamal Murray is and how young Nikola Jokic is um, to win his first title at 28, which, by the way, same age Kevin Durant, Michael Jordan, and Shaq were when they won their first uh, NBA title, which begs the question, Nikola Jokic, you got to run the resume at this point, right? Two-time MVP, five-time All-NBA, five-time All-Star, one-time NBA champion and NBA Finals MVP. I know you talked about him being the best player in the league right now. That's a pretty good argument, but but when you widen the lens, we got to start having this all-time legacy discussion with Nikola Jokic. I actually wrote something about this over at the Sporting News, um, just kind of where he stands among all-time centers and all-time greats. I got him in that between you know 15 and 20 range is that fair foul what do you think about him winning this one title or should he have been there before did he need a title to be there definitely needed the title to get there you know I think like that was kind of the big thing for everybody with Nikola Jokic it's like all right well this guy's dominated in the regular season for three straight years could have been the you know first three-time MVP since uh what Larry Bird back in the 80s so you know everybody was there to like crown him as one of the best players in the NBA, but it took him winning a championship for myself included to really kind of put him over the top and say, all right, he is the best player in the NBA today. Um, And, you know, the accolades were already there. So like you said, you win that championship and all of a sudden you skyrocket yourself into those conversations of, is he one of the 20 greatest, greatest players of all time? You know, the sporting news is going to be running a list on uh, who the top 25 greatest players of all time are in light of, you know, this Nikola Jokic run. Uh, I filled out my list today. I had him inside the top 20. I still have him behind guys like Giannis Antetokounmpo um, just because, you know, he has the defensive player of the years. Uh, He has Mm. just many MVPs. He already had that championship. Um, I'm still not ready to put him above, you know, any of those, I guess you could call it like the ironclad concrete five centers of Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Russell, Tim Duncan, Shaquille O'Neal and Hakeem Olajuwon. Like I'm not ready to put him there yet, but he is starting to place himself in those conversations. And like you said, 28 years old, that's the same age that, you know, a lot of the all-time greats won their first NBA Mm -hmm. title. That is, you know, the, I think there was actually a study done on it. That is technically the prime of your career from 27 to 29. So he is right in that window right now. The Nuggets are built for sustained success. There is not a clear, you know, challenger in the Western conference for them right now. So I do think that the pathway is there for Nikola Jokic to continue to kind of climb those all-time lists, work his way into, you know, possibly a conversation of what top 15 players of all time. And we know that's not a, not an easy list to crack. We know that's, you know, a very, very tight knit group uh, because then you start taking out names like whether it's Kevin Durant, whether it's Stephen Mm -hmm. Curry, Kobe Bryant, like you're not, you're not, after one championship, you're not ready to remove those players right. and in out of the way for Nikola Jokic, but he is certainly solidifying himself as one of the greatest players in NBA history. Yeah, and I think like Jokic, for better or for worse, has been like a, a, a casualty of the rings culture, right? Like I think the way it is, especially now, you know, needing to, to, to win a championship to kind of have a seat at that table. Granted, you know, you look at our top 25s, most of us have Charles Barkley in there. I think that Guys get in those lists without a championship once their career comes to an end. But because Jokic got it done, you know, I guess this is year eight for him or year set, year eight for him. Um, get, got, gets it done there. You know, there all signs indicate that he's going to have a chance to be at the mountaintop again. We're reminded it's, it's not easy 
to win a championship. But the fact that he was able to be the best player and lead them uh, in the manner that he did, I think, you know, you mentioned Giannis. I do have him still behind Giannis. Giannis's uh, finals performance was just epic um, a few years ago. But, um, you know, Carlin Gare, our colleague, mentioned these; those two will probably flip-flop, you know, throughout the course of their careers. They are contemporaries, only a few months separate them in age. They're going to be at the top for a while. Who knows? We could see them go head-to-head in the finals um, in a few years' time. I think that would be uh, awesome just to think about them being all-time greats. But you, you mentioned that top 15, and, and and Steph Curry probably really just cracked it last year, and he had to work a lot to get there. It was title number four and finals MVP number one, along with you know establishing himself as being the best shooter of all time. Um, you know Those back-to-back MVPs, United MVP, all those things he had to his name. Then he cracks that top 15. So it's not ironclad, obviously. Like it, it, it can be cracked, but there's so much that that he has to do. I, you know, I, I could see him going on another run of picking up, you know, a few more MVPs. That again, you know, the on the individual standpoint, you talk about this past postseason, ten triple doubles in a single postseason, NBA record. All signs kind of indicate, especially with the direction that the game's going. Not going to be surprised if he surpasses Russell Westbrook as the NBA's all-time triple-double leader. And you start talking about that and impact on the game and really redefining the game in a sense that Jokic is a lot of the things that a traditional center does, but he's anything but a traditional center. He's a guy who will punish you on the block, but also can play point guard and you run the offense through him and is arguably, maybe the argument is, is starting to die down that he's the greatest passer to ever play the game as well. So thinking about everything that Nikola Jokic has done up to this point, and it, it makes me excited about what he's going to do moving forward. And you mentioned, you know, there are not that many teams in the Western Conference, if anybody right now, that's going to give uh, this Nuggets team fits moving forward. Doesn't make the path to the championship clear, but there's definitely a path that we see uh, him adding a couple more rings to his resume. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like, you know, obviously these type of conversations happen after someone wins a championship almost every time. Like you said with Steph Curry last year, it's like, all right, well, he's the best player in the league again. And, you know, where does he like, where does this trophy uh, cement his legacy as one of the greatest players of all time? And like, I know like a lot of it is kind of like recency bias and it makes you roll your eyes, but like, I just think that like, you know, you said with Charles Barkley as an example, he's someone that he cracks the top 25 uh, at the end of his career. And now when we look back at it uh, in retrospect, like we can, you know, kind of really truly soak in and appreciate just how great he was. But like, if you're rolling your eyes right now at the idea that Jokic is like a top 20 player of all time, like uh, my response would just be that when you know, 20 years down the line, like right now, like where what, like 40 years down the line from where, or 50 years down the line from Wilt Chamberlain and things like that. Mm -hmm. Like anytime anybody does something great in the playoffs or in the regular season, it's like, they are the first player to do this since Wilt Chamberlain, or they are the first player to do this since, you know, fill in the blank all time. Great. Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, like whoever it is, like Nikola Jokic continues to solidify himself in those types of conversations every single time he steps on the floor. Like we said, first player ever to lead uh, the entire playoffs in p- total points, rebounds, mm-hmm. and assists. Uh, he had the most triple doubles in a single playoff run in NBA history. He has the first 30-20-10 game yeah. in NBA Finals history. Like These lists just go on and on and on. In, in the moment, it might feel like it's too knee-jerk reaction to call him one of the greatest players of all time. But like yeah. in 40 years from now, when we're looking back at this title run and his career as a whole, and of course he's going to accomplish a whole lot more, like you said, maybe more MVPs, maybe it's more championships. But even if his career ended today and he decided I'm going to walk away from the game, we would still look back at this playoff run in this season, in this, these last three years where he has been in the MVP conversation 
uh, at the top of the MVP conversation and realize, like really realize just how special this run has been and just how much um, or how, you know, kind of infrequent we see things like this because he just is that special of a player and that unique of a player. Yeah, I, I mean, you know, when it's all said and done, and again, he's still writing his story, so that's why it's kind of hard to you, you feel like a prisoner of the moment, and you also feel like you don't want to like speak too soon about something, but you know, because because he could put a fourth a year next year that's better than his past year. Who knows? Mm-hmm. But this three year run that he just turned in is up there with one of the greatest three year runs in by any player, in, in anybody. You know, to the two MVPs, the title, the triple doubles. You know, uh, and, and you know. NBA titles are NBA titles, and I know we talk about you know LeBron winning his three and two in Miami and one in Cleveland, and one in Cleveland meaning a little more because it was in Cleveland and they came back from three one. You look back and like the Nuggets' first ever championship in franchise history, forty seven year title drought, however you want to call it. I mean, they were a team that joined the league from the ABA at first, so it wasn't really a drought. They were they were a new team, but still, mm-hmm. like that first title will always be associated with Nikola Jokic and the special things that he did this past season. One one last Jokic question before we take a quick break. Um, you know, we can argue about his place in all time, but I, I think his reaction to winning is definitely top five ever. He just he wanted to go home. You mentioned he could he could hang it up tomorrow and be good. I'm pretty sure he we wouldn't mind hanging it up tomorrow and just going to race the horses. But I think his basketball salary he's using to fund and uh, do the most that he can for his horses uh, back in Serbia. Yeah, I mean, you're almost cornering me into some Jokic slander here. And I said I was only going to say nice things about him because I'm <laughs> filling in for Scott. But I actually kind of had a problem with like how casual really? he was about like, I don't know, just like he left the finals MVP trophy on the stand. Like he was very like uninterested in like the idea of like winning a championship as a whole. And he's like, oh man, like I got to stick around until Thursday for the parade. Like, do you know how bad some players would want to be in that spotlight and be in that moment? Like, I listen, I understand that part of it is probably like how he's trying to portray himself to the media and he doesn't want to let everybody in on everything because then you see the video of him like tackling Jamal Murray to a pool and you know, him like drinking in the locker room and like trying to pop the champagne stuff. Like that stuff is awesome. Don't get me wrong. Like I, all in all, I thought his finals, uh, post finals celebration was great, but like there was kind of part of me that's like, don't take this for granted, man. Like this is not easy work. I know he knows it's not easy work, but like there are so many players that would kill to, be yeah. able to have that moment of winning finals MVP and be at the top of the mountaintop where everybody considers you to be the best player in the world. And then you get to go to a parade where an entire city, everyone's wearing your jerseys and thrilled that you're there. And like, you don't want to be there. Like I kind of had a little <laughs> bit of an issue with that. Maybe I'm just being a hater, but like, I don't know. It did kind of rub me the wrong way, but I'm, I'm going to leave it on this because I thought uh, someone had a hilarious tweet talking about how KG's anything is possible in Jokic's. I just want to go home is the same reaction to achieving the same feat. And I guess that is the beauty of different personalities and different dominant athletes and just how they view the sport. So maybe I should actually be appreciating it a little bit more than I am hating on it. But that's kind of my take on how his uh, post-final celebration went. The duality of man, duality of NBA champions. <laughs> I, I, I didn't even think about that. That's the perfect note to go into a quick break. <laughs> Anything is possible. I just want to go home. We're just going to go into a quick break and we'll talk a little more Serbian basketball this time through the lens of the Toronto Raptors. So catch you after this break. So last week, Kyle, I asked you, what was taking the Raptors so long to hire a new head coach? They must have listened. They must have heard because over the weekend, Darko Ryakovic hired as the 10th head coach in Raptors franchise history, spent the last three seasons as Taylor Jenkins 
top assistant in Memphis. He brings nearly 30 years of coaching experience to Toronto. And considering the fact that he's 44, that says a lot. He started coaching at 16. So first reactions, first impressions of the Raptors hiring Darko Ryakovich to be the next lead man as this franchise is shifting towards the future. In the uh, most respectful way possible, like you get that notification and the first reaction is kind of, it's, it's who, but yeah. you know, once yeah. you start to so, actually do your research on this guy and learn about him, um, you know, I think that the Raptors made a very Raptors hire. It's a guy that's yeah. a little bit yeah. more in the weeds that people weren't as aware of, but like you said, he has an incredible resume an incredible track record of developing players. You were the one that just told me uh, going into, you know, this, this podcast here that he was credited with de- developing players like Desmond Bain and Mikel Bridges mm-hmm. who've turned into two of like, you know, the more budding stars, uh, young all-star. stars in yeah, borderline all-stars in the league. Um, you know, he had his press conference today on Tuesday and he talked a lot about how player development is the most important thing to him as a coach. And that's the thing that he gets the most joy out of watching players grow under him. Um, so, you know, I mean, that's, he's saying all the right things. Like those are all the things that the Raptors pride themselves on. He talked a lot about what they can get done on the defensive end with all of their length and the switchability and protecting the rim. And, you know, it just feels like he fits that Raptors culture. Um, Mm. it's, you know, they have a lot of big decisions to make this offseason regarding Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. Uh, he has nine days to figure out who they're going to take with the number 13 pick. I don't know if that's exactly enough time. They probably should have, you know, kind of expedited this uh, coaching process a little bit. But, you know, all in all, it feels like Ryakovic is, you know, a very Raptors hire. It feels like he's, you know, kind of the right guy that they were looking for. That has the same or coaching philosophies that kind of line up with what the Raptors fan- franchise philosophies are. And, uh, you know, just because he's uh, relatively unknown doesn't mean that it's, you know, not some big hiring. I feel like the Raptors should be very excited about this one. No, absolutely. Darko Ryakovich, very interesting guy. I did a lot of research, obviously, coming into this, but also for some stuff that we wrote about him over at the Sporting News and, and just talking about his coaching background and his history. Um, you know, he came stateside in 2012 as a head coach of the Tulsa 66ers, um, moved on uh, to the Oklahoma City Thunder staff where he worked with a lot of guys. He was there for uh, five seasons, worked with Scott Brooks, uh, worked with Billy Donovan and a lot of those guys that he coached there. Um, Stephen Adams had a crazy story. He said Stephen Adams Stephen Adams said that he would punch him uh, when he missed free throws to help him uh, not miss free throws anymore. So anybody that's not afraid uh, to punch Stephen Adams is a guy who you know is willing to go to bat uh, for his team and, and do whatever. But as far as his coaching philosophies, we talked about the player development aspect. Another thing that he's talked about a lot is his familiarity and just how much – uh, he knows about the pick and roll and, and offensive versatility or offensive, uh, I guess, flexibility, fluidity on the offensive end, which we know the Raptors have had issues with that in the past. How, how it's pretty wild to think in Serbian, he has, uh, written a, a number of academic journals about the pick and roll. So this guy is like a, a pick and roll expert. So reading the tea leaves a little bit just about like this hire and a guy who, um, you know, prioritizes player development and the pick and roll on offense, rim protection. I'm curious what you think that means about this team. Obviously, it feels like, you know, we, we mentioned Fred Van Vliet has exercised his player option to become a free agent. Don't know if he's going to stay, if he's going to go. Scotty Barnes, things kind of evolve around him. He's a guy who didn't take a step back, but maybe took a step sideways this past season. The development of him is going to be key. Christian Coloco, Jakob Pertl, retaining him as a guy who's their rim protector, right? And thinking about what this means for the construction of this roster and maybe what direction they decide to go uh, in the draft with that 13th pick. What, if, what do you think about that as far as what he says and what we know about him and how that translates to this Raptors identity? 
Well, you just taught me something that, uh, you know, he was writing books about the pick and roll uh, in Serbia. And <laughs> Literally my writing started, books. My, my ears perked up like I was a dog that heard the word treat because, I mean, all along I have been mocking Jalen Hutchfino to the Raptors mm-hmm. uh, with the number 13 pick. I, he's been, you know, falling to the Raptors on my mock drafts for, you know, probably a solid month and a half now. And he's really, really, really good at operating in the pick and roll. Him and Trace Jackson Davis at Indiana was mm-hmm. an incredible one-two punch. Uh, he's a player that I'm super high on. I feel like higher than most. And that's because his highs, I feel like I've talked about it on this podcast before, his highs were really high and his lows were really lows, really low. He's, you know, an 18-year-old, 19-year-old kid who, um, you know, had some bad decision-making when it when it comes to taking care of the ball, trying to force passes. You know, he's a flashy passer, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, he likes to try and squeeze them through tight windows. But when he does make it happen, it's really, really impressive. Um, you know, he's someone that is very confident in his mid-range pull-up. And it's a smooth looking jumper, but it, the consistency is not necessarily there yet, but I think it can get there. And you tell me that about uh, Darko Ryakovich, and it just sounds like that is kind of the best perfect fit uh, with the number 13 pick, especially if, you know, the rumors are true that maybe Gary Trent Jr. is going to be heading elsewhere and potentially Fred Van Vliet is going to be headed elsewhere. If they're going to hand the keys to this offense over to another player and they're going to look to acquire, let's call it a playmaker. I mean, obviously they could go with shooting with that number 13 pick, and that's also another area of need. But if they decide to go with a playmaker, that makes me even more excited about the potential of Jalen Hutchfino, uh, the freshman out of Indiana, going to the Toronto Raptors. I already felt like that's a great place for him to develop. He has long arms. He has size. He's like a 6'6 point guard. Um, his intangible, his intangibles are awesome. The potential is sky high. And I really feel like that that could be the best possible scenario for him to land uh, at number 13 of the Raptors. Yeah, I think Raptors fans should be super excited, especially like blending your analysis of what Jalen Hood Shafino brings to the table, if it's him. And we'll have more on that ahead of and after the draft. But whoever it is, the fact that, you know, if a guy has high highs and, and low lows and, and some things that need to be fixed, you know, from a fundamental level, whether it's their jump shot form or their, I guess, penchant for turning the ball over, whatever the case may be, just refer back to the examples of player development that we just talked about, you know, Mikael Bridges and, you know, Desmond Bain, but also other guys that he he worked with. He worked with Zaire Williams in, in Memphis. He worked with Jaron Jackson Jr. a lot in Memphis. So you should be excited about what that means for Christian Coloco. Obviously he might not, he won't, probably ever be the defensive player of the year. Please prove me wrong. I would love to be proven wrong by Chris Coloco, but to see what Jaron Jackson Jr. became, um, you know, as the best def- defender in the league um, this past year based on, you know, winning defensive player of the year, you know, knowing those things, and, and I don't think the Raptors are going to, you know, take shape after the Grizzlies franchise, but I do think it's very interesting just to see, you know, kind of the bits and pieces of what Ryakovich has picked up at his other stops around the league and now what he brings and how we can kind of blend that with the vision that they have, the players that are already in place in Toronto. The fact that this Raptors team, you know, despite as disappointing as they were last year, they were still 41 and 41. So who knows if they take a, a small step back to make a, a big leap forward. But I certainly think that, you know, Going from being completely unfamiliar with this head coaching hire with Ryakovich to now learning more about who he is, what he's about, and really just the fact that all the players that he's worked with seem to really enjoy him as a person. I think that makes it easier to relate to a new team because you are coming into a new situation. Um, you know, there was a lot of continuity. Nick Nurse was there for five years, but he also was in Toronto for 10 years. He was on Dwayne Casey's staff before he took over. So it's going to be a new regime. We'll, it, we'll see how the coaching staff fills out. I'm sure he'll get himself a, a defensive coordinator because he did talk about defense, but he is an offensive-minded guy. So it's an exciting time. I, I think ultimately I, I'm all for the hire. I think that, you know, the Raptors tend to – 
zag when everybody expects them to zig. They're doing it again now, um, and we'll see how it plays out. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just all in all, I feel like the Raptors, it is kind of that time to, you know, usher in a new regime, new regime. Um, mm-hmm. you know, they have young talent on their roster, but there are obviously some holes to fill. Uh, Pascal Siakam is their guy. Uh, they really like OG Ananobi, but really I feel like it's more about developing Scotty Barnes and putting the right pieces around him. And, you know, Nick Nurse was incredible for them uh, during the time that he was there, obviously brought them their first championship in franchise history. Uh, but, you know, if he wasn't getting through to the locker room anymore and, and the team had kind of tuned him out and it was time for a new voice, then I feel like the Raptors acted at the right time. Um, you know, there's still plenty of players on this roster. Like you mentioned, Christian Coloco is someone that, you know, can develop. He still has a lot of room to grow. And I, it does sound like uh, Darko Ryakovich is the guy that, you know, they targeted specifically because they're confident in his ability to develop the talent that they have in-house. And, you know, over the last couple of years, the Raptors have done that as well as any other franchise in the NBA. So it sounds like they're going to try and continue on that pathway. And, you know, even if they take a step back with guys like Fred Van Vliet and Gary Trent Jr. going elsewhere and they don't get a lot in return or whatever it is, uh, you know, it's going to be patient. The rebuild is going to be patient. The retooling is going to be patient. But, you know, with the talent they have on their roster right now and him at the helm, you know, I'm pretty confident the Raptors are going to be right back in the mix. Uh, if not next year, you know, as soon as two years from now. Yeah, my final thought on that, and Masai Jerry closed uh, his presser by saying this, the day that they introduced Darko Ryakovich, four years to the date of that NBA title win, Back in 2019, time flies. It's kind of wild that that was four years ago already. But he said, we did it once. We're going to do it again. And, and I think that knowing Masai Ujiri and his it's really addiction to winning um, and, and winning big and, and nothing else, he's not going to make a move for this team to kind of, you know, figure things out in the interim and then make, make another move. This is a guy that they envision winning championships for this Raptors organization again. It's not easy to do, but – I'm sure that the thorough process, the seven-week process, it, what they had in mind was a seven-year plan. So it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out. Now, the Ryakovich hire was part of a lot of news that happened before we wrap up here. A couple of things that are going on in the NBA last week, uh, we were kind of surprised. At first, we thought that Chris Paul was just getting cut by the Suns, but now it appears that they're exploring their options regarding his future and cutting him is on the table, maybe releasing him and bringing him back at a lesser salary because half of his salary for next season is guaranteed. Half of his $30 million next season is guaranteed. Um, and then latest news, New Orleans Pelicans are trying to move up in the draft to make a play for Scoot Henderson. Um, a lot of other things going on around the NBA as well, but specific to those two things, your thoughts about the future of Chris Paul and Phoenix. I know we just talked about does Denver um, have any uh, real threats in the Western Conference? Could moving on from Chris Paul be what's best for them? Now you know Fred Van Vliet could be had potentially as a free agent. Do you see that maybe working out somehow. I don't know how Phoenix would make it happen, but that could happen. Then also what do you think about the Pelicans trying to move on from somebody to get Scoot Henderson? I don't know who it would be. I know you wrote some things about what a trade could potentially look like for those teams. Uh, you know, whether it's moving up to two, uh, making a deal with Charlotte, moving up to three, making a deal with Portland. So your thoughts. Uh, first, we'll start with Chris Paul. And I mean, it was pretty shocking to hear that they at first were going to outright cut him. And then, you know, yeah. kind of the more reports came out, more information became available and they're trying to work something out with him. At this point, I mean, now that the, the cutting news went out, it I find it hard to believe they're going to find a trade partner for him. But, you know, I mean, if he's willing to go and take a veteran minimum somewhere and make an impact... Um, you know, I think that he still has enough left in the tank to just keep himself ready for the playoffs and then perform once, you know, he makes it to the playoffs. I mean, obviously he's dealt with injuries the past couple of years, but he's been trying to play full regular seasons and everything like that. So, you know, at this stage, I think he still has more to give, just not as, you know, the Mm -hmm. feature player that he has been on teams 
in years past. Um, I think it's a really interesting idea that potentially the the Suns could waive him and then retain his rights, uh, cutting that salary number in half, and then maybe taking him on a more team friendly deal to build up that roster around them. Because I think they only have like six or seven players uh, under yeah. contract on their roster right now. They really have to build that from the ground up around D Book and Kevin Durant. Um, but you know, Chris Paul is going to find a home somewhere and he's going to make an impact somewhere as long as he can stay healthy. I think he still has enough left in the tank to do that. And it would have shocked me if he had gone into retirement or anything like that. And I'm glad he's not. And I know you are as well. Um, in terms of the Pelicans and trading up for the number two pick, I love the idea. I cannot believe that there's a chance that Scoot Henderson is going to go third overall in this draft. I'm so sure that he's the second best player in this draft class, even if, you know, Brandon Miller's a more seamless fit in Charlotte. Um, Sham Sharania is the one that reported that maybe they have to have an internal conversation of, is this the time to move on from Zion Williamson? That feels, uh, pretty significant, almost too significant for me. Um, if you're going to make that move to acquire Scoot Henderson, to me, it feels like you should be looking to build a big three of Brandon Ingram, Zion Williamson, and Scoot Henderson. The Pelicans are one of the few teams that I think have the young assets available to make that trade happen, whether it's you know moving off of a guy like CJ McCollum and Herb Jones, uh, in addition to a couple first round picks. Is that enough to get you the number two pick? It just might be. Um, so, you know, I think that if they obviously safe take here, if they can keep Zion and try and build a big three around Scoot Henderson, Brandon Ingram and Zion Williamson, I would make just about anybody else on that roster available. But if Zion is the player they're going to move, I do actually still think the horn, I mean, excuse me, the Pelicans have the pieces in place to remain competitive, even if Zion Williamson gets traded to Charlotte. So, you know, I'm not going to pretend like Zion to Charlotte is like a done deal or even something that's being, uh, you know, reported concretely. It's just something that Sham Strani have floated out there. And now we have plenty of time to talk about rumors because the NBA finals is over, but it's definitely <laughs> something that interests me because I feel like the Pelicans moving up to number two could be a really smart move for that organization. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think it, 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 you know, if, if this rumor, this reporting is, you know, any hint of what we're going to get this offseason, it's going to be a pretty wild offseason. I know Zion Williamson has had his injury history. Um, you know, he's actually a local guy. He's from around the Charlotte area. He was born in Salisbury, North Carolina, grew up in South Carolina. So it'd be interesting to see if the Hornets would be willing to do that, given the risks specifically, but also, it all will be on the pretense that the Pelicans are, are, are want to move on and develop a different kind of big three. I know I saw some reporting that. They're not going to be able to keep their core together beyond next year, given the new collective bargaining agreement that's going to go into place. So I wouldn't be surprised if they really do, uh, you know, exhaust all options or really look into maybe making a move and, and trying to kind of rebuild or build differently. Um, Cause I know that, you know, having a generational talent, which Zion Williamson has proven to be when healthy, um, it, it's hard to just walk away from that, but you want to capitalize and find ways to win. So uh, we'll see how that goes we'll have much more here on nba sound system we are nine days as we record this nine days away from the nba draft and kyle is the sporting news lead nba draft analyst it's an exciting time there are going to be some trades leading into the draft we're going to get a better idea of what teams are going to be doing um again we always say the draft starts at number two because we know victor Wimbanyama is going number one to san antonio so keep it locked in with us here on nba sound system Subscribe to the pod wherever you get your podcast, and we'll have more for you ahead of the NBA draft. And then free agency is right after that. And then we'll have summer league right after that as well. So as somebody once said, basketball never stops. For Kyle Irving, my name is Gil McGregor. Thanking you for tuning in to this week's edition of NBA Sound System. We will catch you back here next week.